You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us for worship today. We're really glad that you've joined us for another online worship, and we're just thankful that you're engaging and participating with us in this form of worship right now. Today, we're in part two of a series that we're calling Growing Down, and over the course of this series, we're asking the question, what does it mean to be an adult? The answer to that question will depend on who you ask. For instance, if you asked that question to my kids a few years ago, they would have told you that life pretty much shuts down around 9 o'clock, and that isn't too far from the truth because Christy usually doesn't stay up much past the average 7-year-old. But especially when the boys were little, after bedtime, there was at least a, an opportunity there for us to have a little time together. We could you know, watch movies and talk and, and just uh, have a few moments of adult conversation with one another and I remember one night when the boys were little Christy and I were watching a a movie and I had my soft drink and we were sharing a a bowl of popcorn and then I heard the familiar sound of pitter-patter walking down the hallway and we were busted Eli had smelled the popcorn and he had sniffed us out and so if you'd asked Eli what it means to be an adult at that time he would have said it means that you get to stay up late watch movies and eat popcorn fair enough but if you were to ask another, that, that question to another set of kids from another family in another part of the world, uh, you'd probably get a very different answer. For instance, if you were to ask a child from the Okeek tribe what it means to be an adult, they would probably tell you about a, a ceremonial ritual that they go through. In that culture, the boys and the girls, they are secluded from the adults for several months. And during that time, they paint themselves using white clay so that they take on the appearance of a wild creature. And then each night they are stalked by a mythical creature that they only recognize uh, because of a distinct roar that that's, that creature makes. After a, a time of doing this, the elders of the tribe come out and they reveal to the, the children the device that they were using to make that sound so that they can in turn make that sound for themselves. And they become adults. If you were to ask any number of the aboriginal tribes in Australia uh, what it means to be an adult, they would probably describe to you a, a ritual that they call the walkabout. That's when, a, when young men are sent out into the wilderness for up to about six months to see if they are truly ready to be men. Their goal? Survival. Completely isolated and unassisted. And, and when and if they come back, then they're considered men of the tribe. Then there is the Sateria Matois tribe in the Brazilian Amazon who participate in their own coming-of-age ritual when they turn 13. The young people are sent out into the jungle to search for bullet ants. The ants are then sedated by putting them, putting them into an herbal solution, and then they are woven into gloves with the stingers pointed inward. When the ants wake up, they're obviously and understandably upset, and that's when the initiation begins. Each boy is required to wear the gloves for 10 minutes to show their, their readiness to be a man. And even more, they must put the gloves back on as many as 20 times over the next several months to show that they are truly grown up. I guess a movie and a popcorn really is something to look forward to. The question of what defines adulthood has been interpreted in different ways by different uh, people at different times. And in recent years in the United States, we've seen the age of adulthood steadily pushed back due to any number of reasons, the biggest of which is economical. The biggest reason for this delay, according to the Pew Research Center, is that 
is the inability to find a job. A study in August of 2010 showed evidence that each of the five milestones of adulthood, completing school, leaving home, becoming financially independent, getting married, and having a child, have all been pushed back to later in life. That makes defining adulthood a really, really, really difficult because it's a moving target determined on a gener- generational basis and informed by everything from cultural expectations to the economic outlook. So rather than looking at a specific age, um, I think we should ask whether there's a primary characteristic that shifts from, that causes you to shift from child to adult. Is there something common regardless of generation or culture that when a person is like this, then they are no longer a child? I think there is. I think that something is self-sufficiency. It's the ability to make their own decisions, to be independent from from everyone else, to earn their own money and exist f- with you know apart from the help of everybody else. Graduation into uh, adulthood is moving into independence so that you can responsibly decide how late you want to stay up and how many bowls of popcorn you want to eat. And for some kids, <laughs> that might be a glamorous lifestyle. But it's not all popcorn and later bedtimes. I remember that sheer panic at 19 years old when Christy and I had first got married. And I suddenly realized that I had no idea how to pay bills. Or the panic of not knowing whether or not I needed life insurance. Don't get me wrong, this transition is a good thing. We need to grow up. And today, more now than ever... Big boys need to start understanding what it means to be men. They need to love and treasure responsibility and commitment and and embrace their role in the church and and society at large. Little girls need to to understand what it means to be strong women who are willing to follow and to lead and display their strength and, and fortitude and character in both instances. We need, as a culture, to grow up. Mostly. Let's take it back to the to the base definition of growing up. If growing up is mainly about self-sufficiency and self-reliancy, then there are some serious problems, for, especially for Christians. Because the gospel runs diametrically opposed to both of those things. The gospel is first and foremost about acknowledging that you cannot take care of yourself. That you are, in fact, absolutely powerless to do anything to change your sinful condition. And, and because of that, you're in great need. You are helpless, like a little child. Emil Brunner once said that all other religions spare us the ultimate humiliation of being stripped naked and being declared bankrupt before God. That's pretty strong language, but it's true. It points to the humiliating nature of Christianity. None of the other world religions or schools of thought treat humanity with such pessimism. In all other schools of thought, we, we have something to bring to the table. Humans offer something. We, we can strive toward God and, and meet Him, and when we do so, we can be congratulated. But not in Christianity. In Christianity, we bring nothing to the table. In fact, the only thing that we bring in the equation of, of salvation is the sin that we so desperately need to be rescued from. This is one of the reasons that Christianity has been in the past called the religion of women and slaves. In cultures past, neither one of those groups had really many, if, if any, rights. And so it wasn't a far stretch for them to admit their need for God's complete and total intervention on their behalf. This is one of the reasons that Jesus said it was difficult for the rich to come into the kingdom of God because wealth of possession leads us to, to struggle in owning the poverty of soul. 
There, there's an ever-increasing tendency to rely on our stuff for our security instead of throwing ourselves empty-handed at the foot of the cross. That willing humiliation, though, to, to throw ourselves empty-handed at the cross is, is the prerequisite for coming to Jesus because all are welcome to come to the foot of the cross except for those who don't think that they really need to be there in the first place. It's been said that Christianity cuts you at the knees before it lifts the soul and I think that's true. So do you see the problem that, that lies within force? The universal characteristic of adulthood, self-sufficiency, is the same characteristic that keeps us from Jesus. That's a problem. And, that, and actually, that's just the beginning of the problem. As we grow, we develop all manners of thinking and behavior that might make us very good citizens of our culture, but ultimately make us very poor children in the kingdom of God. Let me take you back to the story of Jesus and, and the children. Uh, we talked about this last week as we started this series. It's the story where, where parents uh, hear Jesus teaching and they want to have their kids blessed. And so they bring, Jesus, uh, they bring to Jesus their children to, to bless them. And the disciples rebuke these parents and these children. But Jesus rebukes the disciples. It's one of the rare stories that appears in three out of the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke each uh, record this event. And you'll find in each one of those that they record Jesus' encouragement to all of us to become like the children that he so freely welcomed. And then in each account, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, each account is followed the, in the exact same way. There, it's followed with the story of the rich young ruler. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 10. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Pretty good question, isn't it? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud and honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all of those since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Here's a story about a man who, who had it all. Wealth, prestige, power, a respectable member of the community. And, and not only that, but apparently he had the moral fortitude to go with it. I mean, it's kind of like the, the leader that we've all been waiting for in, in our culture. And yet, after he came to Jesus, he went away sad. Much sadder, I think, than probably those kiddos that had scampered up to Jesus just a few verses earlier. Why is that? It's because Jesus told him that if he wanted to enter into the kingdom of heaven, then he needed to go and he needed to sell everything that he had. He had to become poor. And that made him sad because he had a lot of stuff. But that's the way adulthood works. As we age, we accumulate. We, we accumulate material possessions and and along with those material possessions, we accumulate other things like attitudes and other experiences and other wounds. Growing up is really all about accumulation. Think of it this way. Think of it like a set of luggage. When you're young, you've got very, very little in your suitcase. Your only experiences with the world are with your parents who, for the most part, have kept you a bit sheltered from things that might harm you. And as far as you know, the milk never runs out. Uh, people aren't mean and cruel, and the worst things that can happen to you can be fixed with a Band-Aid. 
But then, and for some far quicker than others, you start accumulating experiences that begin to teach you otherwise. There's the first time that your parent loses their temper or their patience with you and those harsh words come out. And that gets stored in your little suitcase. Or maybe someone close to you, either by their words or by their actions, teach you, teaches you that relationships don't last forever and, and they leave. And you start wondering for the first time if you're really worth staying for. Yeah, that fills up the suitcase pretty nice. And pretty soon you find that you have to get another suitcase. And pretty soon your one suitcase has turned into a matched set of luggage. And you're just lugging all of your disappointments and your heartaches and your notions about the world with you. And the baggage is heavy. Much heavier than when you started. The interesting part about this baggage, this luggage though, is that you have a love-hate relationship with it. On the one hand, you hate it because it's so heavy and you have to drag it around with you all the time. It weighs on your soul. It colors your relationships. It, it distorts your outlook on the future. But on the other hand, you love it because you've had it so long that you don't even know who you are without it. It's what makes you distinct. It's what makes you special. This luggage has become part of your core identity. And then into this bunker of accumulation, Jesus drops this grenade of voluntary loss. That's exactly what he did to the rich young ruler who, who had his own set of accumulated suitcases. Come to me, Jesus says, but don't come with your hands full. Drop the luggage first. And that's when, when your heart starts to beat a little faster, just like it did for the rich young ruler. Sell it all? Get rid of it? Declutter yourself? Part of that choice feels so simple and, and appealing. Just drop the luggage and come back to Jesus. But the dropping part? Man, that's tough. That, that's really hard. But this voluntary loss, though, I'm telling you, it's the pathway to great gain. Intimacy with Jesus means willingly letting go of all that we have filled our lives with along the way. So if we want to have intimacy with Jesus, then we've got to get rid of some stuff. We've got to declutter some stuff. And Jesus, for the sake of the relationship with us that he desires to have with us, is calling us to declutter ourselves from things like complexity and self-reliance. He's calling us to sell off our privacy and our anxiety. He wants to free us from education and apathy and from self-consciousness and busyness. Now, all of these characteristics are, are, are filling the bags that are draped around our shoulders and their weight, their weight just makes us turn away from Jesus time and time again to turn away from what he is offering us. Let's play out the story of the rich young ruler a, a little further. To the best of our knowledge, the story ends with the man going away sad. He walked back to his big old house and he sat back, in, back down in the middle of all of his big old things. And, but what if the story didn't end there? What if he changed his mind? What if when he got back to his big old house that night, he began to think about his encounter with Jesus and he began to think about the very things that Jesus said to him? And what if... When he started thinking about those things, the, the things that he once treasured started to rise like garbage out of a trash can. Maybe they did. And, and maybe he decided right then and there to do the very thing that Jesus told him to do. And so he begins the task that took him all night long and going through his house and tagging everything that he owns for sale. And then the next morning, he gets up early the next morning and he drags everything out into his front yard and he, he exclaims, this is the yard sale of a lifetime. Everything must go rock bottom prices. And one by one, people start to wander up and they're just shocked that they can have such nice things for such low prices. 
And with each sale, the pile goes down a little bit more. And the young man's spirit rises. Until eventually, after a hard morning of selling everything that he has, he's just got a meager set of clothes left and a pile of cash that he promptly walks through the community and gives away. And now, unencumbered by all of this weight that he's previously had, by all of this baggage, he can run again. But faster this time because now he has to catch up to Jesus. Can you imagine what that next meeting would have been like between this rich young ruler, now poor young man, and Jesus would have been like? I think it would have probably been a lot different than the day before. I think there would have been a lightness to it. And now this young man is ready to start following Jesus. But that would just be the start. It would just be the beginning. Even though this man in this imaginative scenario did sell everything that he owned and he did start following Jesus, he would have only been at the beginning of his journey. What would come after this is the same thing that still comes to all of us who follow Jesus. Unlearning. This man, like all of us, would have grown up in a system of thinking that needed to be engaged and needed to be confronted and needed to be reshaped. We've been educated in self-actualization and materialism and anxiety and accumulation, and we have to unlearn these things to really experience the kingdom of God. And this unlearning, it's an intentional effort on our part to recognize that that the things that make us mature in the eyes of the world, they actually hold us back from being mature in the eyes of God. Fortunately for us, though, Jesus is really good at helping people unlearn things. Think back to Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount. If you look back at Matthew chapter 4, we get a a pretty good picture of the crowd that, that was following Jesus at that time. Here's what it says in verses 24 and 25. It says, Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering with various disease and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics. And he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Now, even though Jesus was early in his ministry, he was already developing quite a a reputation and a following. And and so people were coming out of the woodwork. Large crowds would follow him, and, and in part because this man was healing the sick, and he was associating with people that nobody else in society would. He spoke with authority, but... He loved generously. So what do we think then? What do we think the crowds that, that followed Jesus looked like? That, that came and they sat and, and listened to him teach. What do we think they, they looked like? Suits and ties? Sundresses? Nah, probably not. There, there was not a lot of polite listening going on here. No nicely dressed congregation with moleskin notebooks and coffee cups in hands ready to take notes. No, not at all. Imagine men and women shunned by society because of their physical ailments, their sins, their injuries, their reputations, illnesses of all kinds. Imagine the words of Jesus being interrupted by uh, the seizures of an epileptic or or being interrupted by the shrieks of the demon-possessed. While you're at it, consider the smell. Rotting flesh. Clothes dug out of garbage heaps. That scent, almost palpable of people who have been discarded as unimportant, as unnecessary, and as unclean by society. But Jesus looks at the crowd and, and he smiles, for these are the people who, who have been so neglected and, and so unloved, who are also so ready to hear the good news. And so he begins to teach, and never once does he hold his nose. 
Jesus taught them about the, the nature of the kingdom of God. How in this kingdom everything is flipped on its head. How up is down and left is right and poor is rich and hungry is full and, and persecuted is blessed. He taught about how these people are, are the salt and, and light to the rest of the world when they follow him. He taught them that their skin conditions and their palsies and their injuries and their poverties were not the measure of their righteousness or their purity. He was helping them unlearn and, and re-educating them according to the values of the kingdom of God. And he didn't stop there. How many times have, have you heard Jesus say, you have heard it said, and, and then Jesus says, but I say to you. Jesus is inviting us once again to come face to face with what we have heard and then find out that what he says is usually the exact opposite. And because he has invited us, I want to invite you to come to the master of re-education and to ask him to help us to grow down in all the important ways so that we might grow up in him. What might happen if we unlearn these patterns of behavior and instead replace them with attributes that, that once upon a time came so naturally and so easily to us before the world had its way with us? What, what if we move from self-reliance to dependence, from complexity to simplicity, from privacy to authenticity from anxiety to trust from education to wonder from apathy to passion from busyness to rest you know what i think would happen i think we would spiritually speaking be a lot less like adults who have the whole world figured out and more like children who are grateful to be spending time with jesus and when that happens i don't think we would hear jesus say go and sell everything that you own I think we'd hear him say, come, let them come to me. And that's what I want to hear Jesus say. Let them come to me. Come and follow me. I hope that's what you want to hear Jesus say too. So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about more of these traits that, that we need to unlearn, that we need to grow down in so that we can grow up in Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, we are so thankful for, for Jesus. Thankful that uh, he, he looks at the crowds of people and he doesn't, uh, he doesn't see all the, the different conditions, the, the diseases. What he sees are people that need to be loved. And Father, that's where most of us fall. Just people that need to be loved. We've all got faults, we've all got issues, um, and we just need to be, be loved. And so, Father, would you help us to love others like you have loved us? Father, would you help us to grow down in areas of life that keep us from following Jesus with everything that we have? Father, would you make us more dependent on you and less self-reliant? Father, would you begin now to open our minds uh, to be able to unlearn and, and to relearn some things of adulthood that, that might make us really good citizens of, of Glendale, Kentucky and and the United States, but they don't make for very good citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And Father, may our allegiance first and foremost be to that kingdom, to you. Father, thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.